all of us. Everyone at the state's academic medical center. All working together to deliver complete care now and for generations to come. All over the state, including hospital and clinic locations from the Delta to the Gulf Coast. All for one reason. You. The University of Mississippi Medical Center. All for your health. You're listening to a podcast of Relatively Speaking on MPB Think Radio. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. From MPB Think Radio, this is Relatively Speaking, the show all about you and your family. I'm Dr. Susan Buttress, Professor of Pediatrics at the University of Mississippi Medical Center. The numbers are out there. Autism affects children and their families at a rate of 1 in 58. But that's not the only disability that can affect your precious family. The impacts on children and their families can be profound. How can a parent's move from thinking, why me, why my child, to acceptance and joy in the difference? Today we'll meet with a parent who has not only been able to do that, but also been able to reach out to others. Let's talk about what's going on in your life. You can share your comments and experiences with us this morning by calling one eight seven seven mpb ring That's one 672 7464 Or you can send an email to family at mpbonline.org. This is Relatively Speaking. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. Good morning, and thanks for listening. I'm Dr. Susan Buttress, and this is Relatively Speaking. So the numbers are out there. Autism affects children and their families at a rate of about 1 in 58. But that's not the only disability that can affect your precious family. So the impacts on children and their families can be really profound. So how can a person move from thinking, why me? Why did it happen to me? Why did it happen to my child or my family member? To acceptance and joy in the difference and learning how to deal with what's going on. So today we'll meet a parent who has not only been able to do that, but has also been able to reach out to others to help them figure out how to manage this. So today we're actually talking about if you heard that, how to get beyond adversity. Because there is adversity in having an individual in your family, a child particularly with special needs. That of struggling to have that child that you really, really wanted, right? So you struggle and struggle, and whether through birth or adoption, you now have that child, then something's not right. You know it, and you work to find out what it is. Then you discover what's there. You have a child with autism or a metabolic disease or an intellectual disability or whatever it is, but it's there. You now know, but then you begin to wonder, why me? How could this have happened? I did everything right. There are all those kids out there who were born to people who didn't even work hard to get this child. I worked hard, and why me? So... Today, I have this wonderful gentleman, George Stewart, who is here with us, and he's going to tell us his story and how 
he got around to doing what he is doing. He's an educator and a motiva- motivational speaker. He's a writer. And um, what I've been able to read that he has written is excellent. Um, and so with that, I want to welcome you, George, for being here. Thank you so much for having me. So now your story is one of working. I kind of told your story at the beginning, didn't I? <laughs> I? I read an article that you wrote for the Christian Monitor, I think uh, a couple of years ago, maybe. Um, and it just brought tears to my eyes because um, you and your sweet wife were one of those individuals who worked very, very hard to get this little boy who was born to you, right? Yes, ma'am. Yeah. Had had um, more than one miscarriage, right? Yes, ma'am, we did. Yeah. And so struggled with that, having having the baby. Um, so finally, you were able to have the birth of your son. And he was born prematurely, is that correct? Well, no, he was, he was born um, through regular schedule. But um, the thing about it with him was, again, we the the, the Children we had before him, they were born, of course, very, very prematurely, prematurely. But and he was on schedule. Yeah. So you had a pre, uh, procedure. Your wife had a procedure to try to make sure that happened, and it worked. It did. And so you're very happy and That's excited, true. but apparently yeah. you and your wife knew very, very early on that something was up, something not quite right. Tell us about that. Absolutely. Well, like you said, for, first of all, when Landon was here, we immediately knew that, well, we felt like that he was a blessing from day one because, as you mentioned before, that we had lost, and we tell people all the time, we lost three children before we had him. And so immediately we looked at him as a blessing. But we knew that um, something was not quite normal uh, at a very early age. And one of the things that we noticed first off was the way that he interacted with us whenever we would hold him or we would look, he would never really make eye contact. Mm -hmm. And so we had, my wife had bought this book, you know, the book where you know the different steps that child go through as far as the development. And so we knew that from reading that book or her reading the book, we knew that he wasn't meeting certain developmental targets. And so one of the things that we noticed that he wasn't making eye contact with us whenever we try to play with him or engage with him, he wasn't making an eye. He would look like either right through us or look maybe like right past us. And so we knew that something was up with that. But one of the things that really, um, really got our attention as far as something not being quite right was when he was about one year old mm-hmm. and he wasn't speaking. Mm-hmm. So he wasn't making any um, First sound, words, first not words. the dada, mama, baba. Yeah. And so right. we knew then that, that something was going on. And then he wouldn't answer when you called his name. He would mm-hmm. keep walking. He wouldn't turn around and look at you when you called his name. And so we knew then at about at a very, very early age that something wasn't quite uh, normal about him. So, George, I want to say something that um, uh, brings somewhat joy to my heart in that you and your wife very early on were marking those developmental milestones, and that has been something that that we've been promoting through our Child Health and Development Project, with, which is a grant that we have, on how important it is to watch those babies, to buy those books, to mark those milestones, to know what to expect and when it doesn't happen, to, to say 
something's not right and to seek help. So apparently, I know you did very early on, right? Yes, ma'am, we did. So tell us, you were living in Houston at the time, is we that were. correct? That's correct. So so what happened at one year? Did you tell your pediatrician, hey, something's not right, or what happened next? That's exactly what we did. When we met with his pediatrician, we let her know about the different um, challenges that he was facing. And mm-hmm. then from there, the pediatrician kind of referred, if I'm not mistaken, she referred us to a psychologist. Or, mm-hmm. And so we went through all these different, uh, these different tests mm-hmm. that he had to go through. And that's pretty much when he got his diagnosis. So it was a referral from his pediatrician to a mm-hmm. psychologist, or, if I'm not mistaken. And then he, uh, again, he went through all these different types of tests. Right. Evaluations, probably a hearing evaluation right. and some other um, developmental tests. There are, there are lots of different tests that we professionals can do as we're looking through potential problems when you have a child with developmental delays doesn't always mean autism it it could mean one of many many things and so um the the search for being able to look at what's there the autism is one of those diagnoses that is done through eliminating things like a visual, a severe visual or hearing deficit and other just global developmental delays or a metabolic disease. So, and there's, there are the symptoms. Now, you mentioned one of the big, big symptoms that researchers have shown if a parent is astute and aware, they can see it very early on, as you did. Because one of the first developmental markers, one of those first milestones that we see in children is making eye contact and then following and then smiling. So connecting right to the right. parent. So the fact that you and your wife were so astute in, in looking at that is what we hope we can we can teach all parents because, you know, everybody doesn't innately have those skills of parenthood. You do have to buy those books. You do have to have teach someone to help you. Um, you were living away from family at the time, right? So right. you didn't have those grandmothers or um, older siblings who could say, hmm, this should have happened. So you did it on your own. That's pretty good. But then you moved back to Mississippi. Um, what brought you here? Well, one of the things, well, the main thing that brought us back to Mississippi was, first of all, our wife, my wife and I, we were in Houston, but we were out there alone, just me and her, mm-hmm. and we had Landon. And one of the things that autism does is that it affects the child's uh, social behavior. Right. And so he wasn't very um, socialized, so to speak. And right. so one of the main reason we moved back to Mississippi was because we wanted to be, wanted to get him socialized, be around family, and for that general uh, support because, you know, raising a child with autism, you definitely, definitely need a support system around you. And so our moms here, our dads are here, you know, brothers and sisters, they're all here. And so we wanted to bring him back to Mississippi again to be socialized with cousins and family and just, you know, get that general uh, family support. That is one of those things that really is important to keep exposing a child to interaction just because they don't feed back. They don't give you that reinforcement back. It's very, very important not to stop. So, you know, it's that old thing we talk about. It takes a village. You want more than just you um, and your wife. And I know there's single parents out there who have had to deal with this 
alone. And so alone is never good. So I certainly understand. So we're talking with with George today, a parent of a child with autism, who has has written... um, Lots about the dealings, and you've written a book, right? Yes, ma'am. George Stewart, and it's called? It's called Words of Wisdom for My Son. Words of Wisdom for My Son. Yes, ma'am. That's pretty awesome, and just the title alone, I think, is an awesome title. Um, Let's go to our first break. We're talking with George Stewart about having a child with special needs and how it affects the family and what you can do about it. We'd love to hear from you listeners. Give us a call at one eight seven seven mpb ring That's one 672 7464 Tell us your story. We want to hear yours, too. Join with us. This is Relatively Speaking. We'll be right back. MPB Think Radio podcast. You mean what you say, just can't say what you mean. Bottled up inside your head and bursting at the seams. Trapped inside a world that's all your Welcome back, and thanks for listening. Today we're talking about having a child with autism. Um, Many times they really are trapped in themselves and can't get out and can't connect with others, can't get out their words, can't connect with others what they want. And sometimes there's incredible intelligence locked up in there that they can't get out. certainly frustrating for the child. Also, um, sort of a grief moment for parents that they have to get through when you are waiting so hard for that healthy child that you've planned so long for. You finally have that child, and then you find that they have something that's going on that's different, that's not typical, and how do you come to terms with that? So... We're here with George Stewart today, uh, a writer and educator um, who has written a book, uh, Words of Wisdom to My Son, and um, he's also written uh, several articles. And so, um, George, thanks for being here. Um, Just we have our first caller. Before we get to Nathaniel um, in Union, I want to just get you to say a couple of words about what drove you to write that book. Sure. Um, A couple years ago, I was actually in this fatherhood training program because I'm always trying to find ways to better myself as a father. And so I was in this fatherhood training program, and the facilitator of the program, he had an activity for me to work on. And he told me to list 10 people that I love, 
And so I list those 10 people. And so what he told me to do next was pick one person from those 10. And if you, if you had one more day left on earth, and if you can only leave a letter behind for that person, who would that one person be in your list? Ah. And so out of those 10 people, I said that I would leave the letter behind for my son. And so my instructor asked me why my son. And I said the main reason because at the time my son was one year old. And I said if I only have one day left on earth, I will leave the letter behind for them, for him because in that letter will be all the things that I would never get a chance to teach him oh. or to tell him about. So yeah. that book is basically like my letter to my son, basically giving him things that I've learned you know, professionally, spiritually, all of that is in that book. And so that's kind of like my letter to my oh. son if I only had one day left on earth. Georgia, that's awesome. Um, what, what, what a motivating reason to get that book and read it, I'm telling you. <laughs> All right, let's go to our first caller. We have Nathaniel in Union. Hi, Nathaniel. Thanks for calling. Thank you, and good morning. Good morning. Tell us what you're calling. You have a story of your own? Well, actually, um, sort of. I also have a question about autism, if I may. Absolutely. All right, before I ask, I'd like to... I want to say that I'm not trying to be offensive in any way. It's just that I have this way of thinking outside the box. Mm-hmm. May I continue? Sure. Okay. Growing up, I was doing really bad in school. Math was my greatest rival. I would It got so bad, I would fail the seventh grade four times in a row because mm-hmm. of math. And one day I see this movie called The Accountant. Uh-huh. In a, t- a TV show called The Good Doctor, both in which main characters do have autism and it seems they seem to be overwhelmingly smart mm-hmm. and do good when it comes to academics and i'm thinking to myself i gotta get me some autism so my question is this is it really such a bad thing to have autism we know that's a great question nathaniel there are a lot of people who say no it's not um now those shows portray um, individuals with high, what we call high-functioning autism. Um, there is a broad spectrum of autism, and it can be anything from an individual with severe autism, severe socialization and communication issues, and an intellectual disability also, all the way up to an individual who has some socialization issues, like the good doctor portrays, um, some communication issues, not reading people very well. And then they can be, you know, brilliant, smarter than um, many, many um, individuals out there, 98% of the population. So what is often portrayed on television is the individual who is in that high-functioning area. There, there are all kinds of individuals in between, just like we are all um, on a bell-shaped curve, that spectrum. You know, the majority are average. Um, about 2% fall in the intellectually disabled range. About 2% fall into the gifted range. But everybody, everybody else is, is under that great big huge curve. So that's the way you should think about autism is that, that 
the we found in recent studies we used to think about two thirds of individuals with autism spectrum have an intellectual disability also, but recent studies show that it's flipped. About two-thirds have normal intelligence. It's just hard to test those children because of their communication issues and socialization. So, um, you know, I I hear you, Nathaniel. It, it, what you see on TV and often read about um, is about that individual who, good grief, maybe I need that because I don't have to worry too much about what other people think about me. I go right ahead and and do my own thing, but that's that's really not the way it works in the majority. And, and it can be a big struggle, especially in those early years, even with the right interv- intervention. But George will tell you, sometimes it's very hard to get the correct intervention, right, George? That's correct. And, and, I'll, and I'll add you know, with that, with my son, and I'll speak for my son um, personally, like for him, as I mentioned earlier, my son is nonverbal. And so the communication piece there is, is very, very difficult at times. I mean, as his parent, we start, we know his needs and wants from time to time, but as someone that's engaged with him outside of my wife and I, it's very hard to engage with him. And at the same time, as Dr. Butchers mentioned, it, it is a spectrum disorder. And so with my son, we're still trying to find out and figure out what his thing is. I mean, is, if, is it math? Is it science? I mean, what his thing is because... We're still, like I said, in his earlier years, we're trying to figure, you know, figure yeah. that out, like what his thing actually is, you know. And so, but like you said, I mean, there are a lot of challenges that come with being uh, diagnosed with autism. Yeah, absolutely. And so, Nathaniel, um, it's probably not something that you would absolutely wish for, um, but many parents say that when they have their child with autism, it is a gift because they teach them so much. Um, so I appreciate your call. It sounds like you probably have a mathematics disability, a learning disability, and you can be very gifted and have a learning disability in one area. And so it's a shame nobody ever had you you diagnosed with that and gave you the proper services because, as you probably pointed out, um, uh, failing the same grade over and over again, repeating a grade does nothing at all for a learning disability. It's the, having the being taught in the right direction. So, Nathaniel, thanks for your call and thanks for starting us off. We appreciate it. Let's go on to our second caller. We have um, Rennie and Biloxi. Hi, Rennie. Good morning. Thanks for calling. Uh, I just want to say uh, I love this to show how we, how well you portray different points, but thank you. I have known many different autistic people through my life, and some people even tried to say I had, I had Asperger's, which I don't believe because I've never been tested. But uh-huh. the thing is, it's the last caller was so right. It's the thing is, uh, it, well, at least with high functioning autism, basically they're actually better than most people. Well, uh, better in what way? Tell me what you think better. A brain working mm-hmm. mind, mm-hmm. Uh, which is what really matters in life. It's how, how good of a mind you have because everything else you can just Get. centers from the mind. So 
let let me point out a couple of things that you've said. Um, so many times those individuals with autism, as George was just saying, they're still looking for where their son's um, level, if he has one, of, of gift is. And um, you, sometimes, especially when a child's nonverbal, it's, it's very difficult to know until you have nonverbal testing that can help you dig that out. Sometimes it's in that puzzle-solving area. But um, individuals with autism, part of the um, diagnosis is that they have a, sort of a, a area of interest, a restricted repertoire of interest. So they really focus on one area of great interest and so can become very good at that. Um, George, you, you wanted to say something? Yes, ma'am, real quick. I wanted to just add, too, again, with my son personally, with his diagnosis, one of the things, the challenges that we have with him is that he has a tendency to wonder and what I mean by that is that he has a tendency to wander off from his safe space. So with so when you see me with my son, you will normally see me holding his hand or holding on to him some kind of way, holding him tightly to me. Because if I'm not, he'll gravitate to very, very dangerous situations. Mm-hmm. So one of the things that he gravitates to is water. Mm-hmm. Another thing that he, if he's not properly watched and monitored, he'll venture off into traffic. Mm-hmm. So... It's very, it's very different, you know, for different kids. And so the social piece there, there a lot of autistic children are not, they tend to have a, um, uh, they don't really notice danger right. as much. And right. so that's the, one of the biggest challenges that we have with my son is that his, his knowledge of what's dangerous is very, is very low. Yeah, and and also another issue with the socialization um, issue is that they don't read social cues, they don't read facial expressions or gestures or that general body language that we work so hard to learn, and so that you can one read what other people are thinking because that's an art, and that would be another whole show, I think. Um, but also to, to know when the stops are out there. What, Like you said, if somebody has this look of terror on their face, you're going to stop and see what in the world are they looking at. A child with autism may not recognize that that look of terror means that there might be danger there. So, um, yeah, they're, they're, I, I hear what Rennie and Nathaniel are saying in the really high-functioning child with, or individual adult with autism. They can be taught to read, um, to learn how to better socialize, to learn how to better interact. But you can imagine that life would be difficult for an individual if um, they're not able to read the social cues and somebody's saying, you know, you need to stop talking or you need not to enter that space and you don't get that, so then you instantly are either placed in danger or placed as sort of a social outcast because you don't listen to what other people are telling you. So it it can be difficult. Um, I do love some of the shows, you know, the the show um, that Sheldon is on that that can be so much fun is is a good one. But um, at the same time, it shows an individual who's this high functioning scientist and he just doesn't read social cues. 
So um, as we move through, we've got Melinda on the line in Mobile. We're going to take a quick break. Melinda, you wait on us, and we'll be right back. We're talking with George Stewart about his book, um, Words of Wisdom for My Son. Am I saying it right? Yes, I don't want to. Yes, Words ma'am. of wisdom for my son about the message you want to leave your your child. So we're also talking about autism spectrum disorder and how it can affect your life. This is relatively speaking. Give us a call. Join in one eight seven seven MPB ring. That's one eight seven seven. Six seven two seven four six four. You can send an email to family at mpbonline.org. We'll be right back. smart decisions every day. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. Welcome back and thanks for listening. Today we're talking about autism spectrum disorder, the effects on child and the family, um, how one can get an early diagnosis, um, how families deal with not just the diagnosis of autism spectrum, but, but maybe any other um, disorder that your child or a close family member is diagnosed with, how do you deal with it? How do you accept it? And then how do you move on and help that individual? So um, we're going to go on back to the phones. We have Melinda, who's been patiently waiting, in Mobile. <laughs> Hi, Melinda. Hey, Dr. Buttress. I'm so happy about this topic, and, and nice to meet uh, Mr. Stewart also, that you're actually going in and talking about it, because this is something that, that we do a lot in the public schools. I'm a retired teacher, and I have a couple things to to, uh, to mention that I've noticed uh, with all kinds of students. And nowadays, as, as you can imagine, everyone is always in the classroom together. Right. And if they understand, you know, that you really care about them, and maybe you've been around the block a couple of times, they will tell you anything. <laughs> right. Girl. Yeah, and she said to me, you know, I'm really worried because I think my brother and his friends don't really like me because I'm not as smart as they are. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, this is a, a, a highly verbal um, uh person on the spectrum and I said really I said well what do you think that means and she said well 
I'm just, I just can't do everything they can do. And sometimes they make fun of me. And I said, well, I can tell you a couple things about that. I said, you know what smart really means? And she said, yeah, it means you can do math and you can write and you can put in school and all. And I said, well, there's a lot of different kinds of smart. And I said, I think you may have some special smart that not everyone really knows about. Like maybe you're very smart with animals or maybe you have uh, the ability to to, uh, to talk to your friends and make them feel good, or maybe you like to, to cook in the kitchen, and, and some of your friends would never be able to do that. We all have different kinds of smarts, and I want you to think about what your good things are and never worry if somebody thinks they're better than you are, because they can't be. They're the best. And she just broke out into this beatific smile, you know. <laughs> and it's really true. It's really true. Wow. You know, Melinda, um, I think some of our listeners who listen often have heard me talk about the adverse childhood event study and, and having an individual in a home with a disability or being mm-hmm. one who has a chronic illness is one of those adverse events. And what does it take to help one... Um, become resilient what helps them deal with that and become successful and happy as an adult and it's having people like you yeah it's sometimes it's just finding a person who cares and can tell you a little bit more about the world than than you really know and maybe they'll remember and i think they always do because i see my students everywhere now that I'm retired, and, you know, sometimes they'll say things to me, and they'll talk to me about things I said, and I'll say, I said that? Oh, that was good. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know. It's a pleasure, and I'm so happy to hear about uh, Dr. Uh, Mr. Stewart's book. I'm really anxious to read it. Yeah. And I think he's got, he's got so many answers that we can't really appreciate because we're, we're not uh, living every day uh, with, with that person who is our, our little godsend. Yeah. And he's a lucky man. Well, thank, thank you. Thank you. I agree. And um, Melinda, I think your students were lucky students to have had thank you. you. So much. Yes. Because thank that's, you. we need more of that, don't we? Yes, yeah. ma'am. <laughs> <laughs> thank, thank you, Amelia. Now I'm a poor, pathetic substitute, but I have to say they're very happy to see me because, you know, what am I going to do? Give them a chance? <laughs> well, you, know, you don't get a job where you walk in and they start cheering. Yes. <laughs> thank both of you very much. I'm enjoying the show today. Thank you, Melinda. Thank you. Okay, and bye-bye. Bye. So we have some open lines, and we'd love for more of you to join in. Give us a call at one eight seven seven mpb ring That's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. 672 So, um, George, as Melinda was talking about um, that child, I was thinking how how wonderful it is that you, as a father of a child with autism spectrum, have been reaching out to others and teaching others how, what a blessing the child can be, but also how to step through it. Um, What I'd love to do, just for a minute, is go back, because um, when your child was diagnosed, ultimately, at what age? He was two. Two. So that's early, and that's wonderful, and that's what we reach for is an early diagnosis because uh, the earlier you get into intervention, the more likely you'll have success with it. But um, I understand that perhaps um, 
you, I'm, I'm sure you had a grief response. Talk to us a little bit about that. Yes, we act, we did have a grief response for that because as parents, when you when you when you're having children, you have these expectations. You know, you want them to grow up to be a certain way. You right. want them to be the most smartest person, and as a father, the most athletic, and things like that. So we have all these expectations for our children, and so when we got the diagnosis, there was a moment, you know, and so we. We had that, as you mentioned earlier, that why me? What did I do? What, right. what was the you know the situation? Why did this, why did this happen to me? And so we had that moment. But you know the thing of it is, is just one of the things I think that helped me kind of push through it was uh, first of all, like I'm very big on my spiritual connection, so that helped. And just I talk, you know, talk to people, try to get, you know, try to. The more I tell my story, the more I talk to people about it, the more that kind of fuels me and things like that. And, and I will say. As you mentioned earlier, my wife, she it took her a little bit longer, I guess, to kind of come to terms with it. And I will say that um, with her, she saw it from a different perspective because I was the one who was at that time was was working. Right. And so she was at home with my son all right. the time. Right. So she saw it from a perspective of seeing the actual nuts and bolts of things, you know. And so me, I had more of a a broader view mm -hmm. than she did. So that's why it took her a little bit longer, I guess, to come in terms of diagnosis than, than me. Yeah. Well, you know, you mentioned a couple of things that would make life pretty hard if you are at home trying to be the primary caretaker in the home. Um, without speech, often you don't know what the child needs. So, you know, um, uh, temper tantrum, falling on the floor, um, you know, head banging. Children with autism spectrum who fall in the moderate to severe range often engage when they're frustrated in self-injurious behavior. I'm not sure if your son ever did that, but, you know, those are, you know, I often tell parents when a child throws a temper tantrum, you know, they're not going to hurt themselves. They'll only hit their head once to cause a bruise and then it won't happen again. So stand back. Um, that's in a typically developing child. In a child with autism spectrum, for whatever reason, and we don't clearly understand why, um, many times those individuals will hurt themselves and can cause injury through head banging or biting or, um, you know, slamming against a wall or something like that. So just dealing with that alone, um, the lack of communication, the lack of the, your child not understanding um, that when you frown at them, that means no. When you change your voice inflection, that means stop, mm -hmm. you know. Um, and so that can be very hard for the primary caretaker. I, and I honestly um, think many times um, many of us out there don't completely get um, the added burden. And, and you know, like we were talking about before the show when I said, what brought you back to Mississippi? You said the family. Um, and it really does, you know, it it makes a huge difference, I think, to have the interaction and to also have the the family support. Have you found that your family has been, I'm sure every family member doesn't get it, but have you found that uh, family has made a big difference in helping you? We have, excuse me, and I will say with that, as, as I call us autism parents, we've gotten the support, but at the same time it's important for us to educate ourselves on autism and at the same time uh, educate 
our support system. Because like you said, a lot of parents and a lot of family members don't get it. And so we have to educate them on how to properly properly uh, engage with him and how to interact with him uh, when he's in their care. But we have gotten um, some good support since we've been back. Absolutely. Right. Family can make such a big difference in and all. Um, as you've moved through um, life with your son, uh, what have you found to be the most difficult issue? I would say the, the most difficult issue, I would say, would have to be the the communication piece. Mm-hmm. It's so it's so very important, and again, him, with him being nonverbal. Now we've been with him, uh, of course, eight years, and so we, there are certain things that we can pick up on, certain things that we know that he needs and wants, just on how he behaves. But even in that, still that that nonverbal piece there is still probably one of the most challenging because he has, as he gets older. He has different needs and wants. Absolutely. And so we have to figure out now what those different needs and wants are as he gets older. Right. Yeah, I know it's time for our last break. Um, When we come back, I want to talk about some of the most surprising challenges that people outside the family have presented to you as you have stepped through life with your son with Autism Spectrum. We still have time for callers. So, uh, listeners, please call us if you have a question or maybe a story about your child with um, Autism Spectrum Disorder. You can call us at one eight seven seven mpb ring That's 877-672-7464. You can send an email to family at mpbonline.org. This is Relatively Speaking. I'm Dr. Susan Buttress. We'll be right back. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. Welcome back, and thanks for listening. We've been talking today with George Stewart, and um, who is a motivational speaker and a writer um, and a father of a child with autism spectrum disorder, about... Um, his life, his son's life, his wife's life, and and how they've gotten through this with their child, who can be an incredible gift, but also um, can help make you have some challenges in life. Um, One issue we were talking about during the break is that one thing that I've learned as I've practiced for over 30 years now in this area of, um, you know, children with autism spectrum often have sensory issues. So noises can be a little bit too much. Um, bright lights uh, can be too much. Uh, 
taste, textures. Um, children often are very restricted in what they eat or what they'll wear um, or what they'll watch. And so those sensory issues sometimes can be profound. I have an example myself, and I think George has one too. Um, my example is that I had a child that um, I just loved who was in my practice for many years. And um, I learned that I had to change my voice tone, lower my voice, talk talk in a softer, lower tone, because if I spoke in my typical voice like this, he would put his fingers in his ears because it clearly hurt his ears. And so I would have to remind myself before I entered the room with him, okay, time for that lower, softer voice. Um, a big hello was not something I needed to do for him. And, and so, um, George, give, give our listeners your example that you had. Sure. One of the things you mentioned was, and that's one of the challenges that we had at the very beginning as well was his eating. You mentioned certain yeah. types of things that he would eat. And I remember at one point my son, and he's gotten a lot better, but at one point he would only eat bacon. That was the only, that thing, was that was the only yep. thing that he would eat, but he's gotten a lot better with that. And you mentioned also about the lighting and um, loud noises and things like that. And an example of that is that we had a, and we still have a challenge sometimes with um, going to church and worshiping and things like that. Because of the lighting, the noise, with the singing, I'll say, the, and everything like that. And one story, I'm thinking about it right now. I remember one time we wanted to go back to visit my home church, which is like an hour and a half away. And we wanted to, you know, we knew that there may be some type of challenge taking my son. Right. But we wanted to, wanted to give it a shot. And so we went back and we, like an hour and a half away, we got there, and once the choir started singing, you know, the noise, it he instantly. He couldn't stand it, yeah. Could, and so we immediately, we drove an hour and a half away and then had to huh. leave and go an hour and a half, hour and a half back home. Right. And so, again, we, we knew that there would be some challenges, but we wanted to give it a shot. We went, they sung, he had a meltdown, and we left. <laughs> <laughs> That's tough. Um, uh, you probably know this now, but when we have children with um, noise sensitivities, uh, sometimes we recommend the noise cancellation earphones that can be very helpful for children when they go in a, into a situation like that. I know there are some churches in our area now who who understand these special needs children so much better and and they'll have um people who will do sort of a children's church variant in in the different churches and that's great um sometimes just have um sort of sitters or or playtime where they'll take children out but sometimes that can be very difficult so i know um, just trying to do the typical family things that we all get so attached to. And, and it sounds like church is, is one of those support structures that, you know, you've always had. Have you, have you been able to find a church that is a little bit more supportive in, in helping you with your child? We're, we did. Um, and I tell you, one of the things that we've done, and this is kind of, um, I guess, out of the ordinary, maybe, but one of the things that we've done, me, my wife and I, is that we will sometimes worship at different times. And I think I've talked to parents before that have done that same thing. I may go for this service and come back home, yep. and then my wife, she may go to this service, and then she'll come back home. And so we've learned to kind of 
you know, do that Make as that well. Work. But we yeah. did we did find the church, um, but it wasn't, I guess, the right fit for us as a whole yeah. family. Yeah, I just think as as you move along, whether it's a, a church or a support group or a club or just a friend neighborhood or a family, making sure that there is that that place where the parents can feel supported is so important, right? Absolutely. To have that village that helps. Um, isolation with a child with special needs can happen, and it can make life much more difficult. So um, friends and family, keep that in mind as you're dealing with individuals that you love have ch- who have children with special needs. Um, keep it in mind that, that the parents need support. The other family members, I know you have a five-year-old daughter who sounds like just an, a delight and who she probably is. is helpful with your son. She is typically developing, right? Absolutely. And so she'll probably, the older she gets, you'll find that she'll end up uh, being that incredible support. She, and we're raising her that way to so yeah. definitely be an advocate for her, and she's yeah. already doing that right now right now she'll probably be that brother's protector that's right so we just have a few seconds left george in these last seconds i just want to thank george stewart um so much um i think many of us are going to go out and pick that book up uh say it again it's called it's called words of wisdom for my son yeah and also again i think george is um must be a wonderful motivational speaker i appreciate you coming in and sharing your story i appreciate your wife um being supportive i tried to get her to come on air (laughs) and she would not she said this is george's show so she's pretty awesome too and i just want to reach out and thank all parents who are having to take care of children with special needs and all that they do. Um, So, again, thank you, everybody. Thanks, our listeners. Thank you, George. Today's show was engineered by my producer, Michelle McAdoo. Our call screener was... Oh, Michelle McAdoo. She's multi-talented. I'm Dr. Susan Buttress. I hope you'll join us next Tuesday at 11 for Relatively Speaking. And stay tuned for NPR's Here and Now, coming up next on MPB Think Radio. Like the ships that sail the ocean, he had captured my emotions. Wrapped them up just like a gift. Christmas time